Amen. Thank you, Brother Frank. So our theme for the year is what, church? Church matters. And so we have been going through the book of 1 Corinthians on Sunday morning, verse by verse, line by line. And you say, boy, that's an interesting passage for a Sunday morning church service. Well, that's what happens when you preach verse by verse through the Bible. Uh, You cover it all. Amen. And so if church matters, and it does, church, since church matters, we've got to deal with matters within the church. So let me start by mentioning this morning that God's word is still sufficient for us in this life. That God's not afraid of the hard questions. And if you and I as believers, we come to God's word with a seeking and submissive heart, the Holy Spirit of God will lead us to apply his word to every area of our life. Church, I think it's also important for us to remember that God's word is authoritative. That God means what he says. And that God and his word is binding even when it doesn't seem pleasant or culturally acceptable. This is an interesting section uh, where Paul is moving away from directly addressing the liberty of the Christian to begin addressing issues that were out of order in the church at Corinth. And we're going to find that over the next four chapters that God has a way that he wants things done decently and in order. Aren't you glad that God loves us enough to tell us the way things are supposed to work? Aren't you glad God loves us enough to tell us the truth when the world is content to lie to us? By the way, God proved his love to us when he sent his son to die for our sins. And so we are going to be dealing with some interesting things over the next four chapters. But today, we're going to be dealing with an aspect of God's created order uh, that is ridiculously out of order in our world today. And so let's jump in to the hairy topic of gender. Verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances or traditions as I deliver them to you. He says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is is God. Roman numeral one this morning, if you're taking notes, God has established order in his creation. God has established order in his creation. God is a God of order. Period. And God has designed that order in all of creation. If you hand me a baseball or a football, I would have a hard time pegging David Sullivan in the head from here. David Sullivan is a young man behind the camera this morning. I'd have a hard time hitting him in the head. Because I like him, yes. But also because my aim's not that good. And yet, we can send rockets to the moon and we can hit it from here. Now, why is that? Because God has designed order in his creation... 
And we can do math on paper and in computers that allow us to send rockets to the moon, send rockets to Mars, do all sorts of incredible things. Why? Because creation is not random. Creation has been designed with order built in. You think of the seasons. Boy, I love fall. Amen? I love fall. The leaves starting to change. You go to the ocean. You see the tides. You see time as it rolls on. God has designed order in creation. God has also designed order in society. He's given government. He's put moral laws in the hearts of man that transcend culture. God is a God of order. The problem was the church of Corinth was a church in disorder. As we move through these chapters, you know what we're going to find? That uh, we're going to find these guys were showing up drunk to the Lord's Supper. We're going to find these guys were using their spiritual gifts to try to exalt one another over each other. We're going to talk about how they were taking over the service. Uh, Don't forget about the guy that, remember back a couple of chapters ago, was sleeping with his stepmom. It was chaos in this church. So much so that by the time we get to chapter 14, Paul's going to look at these guys and say, honestly, if an unbeliever happens to stumble into your church, he's going to think, All of you people are crazy. And that's a poor reflection on our Savior. Because God has created things to operate decently and in order. And what we see here at the beginning of chapter 11 is that one of the chief ways that God establishes his order is through delegated authority and headship. Paul reminds us in Romans 13, speaking here specifically of uh, government, that the powers that be, the authorities that be, are ordained of God. And so God has uh, used this concept of delegated authority and headship to establish order in this world. And much of the disorder we see in today's society is due to our culture's effort to discard authority. The police no longer have authority to arrest people. Prosecutors no longer have the authority to prosecute people. Teachers no longer have the authority to tell a student they got something wrong on a test or quiz, lest we offend someone's self-esteem. Authority has gone out the window, and with it, much of the order that we need in society. Order and the greater good of society have been thrown out and the whims and the wishes of the individual have been exalted as the greatest good. By the way, read the book of Judges. Judges 21-25 summarizes the philosophy of this age that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. By the way, when that is the case, you always get chaos. You always get disorder when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Church, whatever we see around us, God is still a God of order. And his divinely established structure is what we need to build our life and church on because his order is what will last. So Paul is going to remind us about an aspect of that divine order in this section. So let's go a little further. Let's look at verse 3. And this time we'll read through verse 9. Paul wrote, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. 
Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Speaking of Christ. So men, if they pray or prophesy with their head covered, it dishonors Christ. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. Speaking of her husband. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Speaking that God created woman from man. Uh, put Adam to sleep and took from his side and made the woman. Neither was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Speaking of in Genesis, that woman was created to be a help that was meet or appropriate for Adam and the task God had given him. So, can we agree, Roman numeral one, that God has established order in his creation? Amen? Amen. Roman numeral two then. The Bible is clear that God has established gender... As a part of his designed order. God has designed or established gender as a part of his design order. Verse number three, what we have is a flow of headship. A a, a chain of authority, if you will. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. God the Father is head of God the Son. Now... Let's draw a couple, of, uh, a couple of observations as we start. Roles of authority and submission do not equal superiority and inferiority. Right. How do we know that? Well, the Bible says that the head of Christ is the Father. Now, God the Father and God the Son are equal. They are equal in divinity. They are equal in glory. They are both equal God. Amen? God the Father and God the Son are equal. Yet Jesus willingly submitted himself to the will of God the Father because that was the order that God has established. Men and women are equal. They are equal in value before God. But though we are created equal in value, we are created with different roles. Now, The order that God has established for the family is that man would be the head of the home and that the woman would voluntarily put herself under his headship just as the son put himself under the father. Ephesians 5 verse 22 and 23 along with many other passages teach this. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Uh, Liz, if you would get that up there for us. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says this. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. By the way, that's important. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 
And we see back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the Bible is clear. Paul is clear. God is clear. At creation, man was created as the head and the woman was created as the helper. Now, this passage and no passage teaches that women are to submit to all men. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that women should submit to all men. Rather, it teaches that women, when you get married, that you ought to voluntarily place yourself under the headship of your own husband. And the Bible does teach that within the home, and we're going to find too that within the church fellowship, that men and women have distinct roles that are directly tied to their God-given gender. You with me this morning? Say amen. Amen. Now the rest of the section that we read is about Paul delineating the gender roles by describing their appropriate actions and appearances in that culture. Now, before we get there, I don't know why, um, but I do need to make this statement because it's the world in which we live. There are only two genders, male and female. Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Genesis 5 and verse number 2. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. In case you wondered what Jesus thought on the matter, Matthew 19 and verse number 4. And he answered and he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Anyone who tells you otherwise is a liar. You can chop off all the body parts you want. You can pump yourself full of hormones. But whatever you choose to do, every cell in your body will still be male or female that God created you to be. By the way, God will judge our culture of child sacrifice and mutilation. By the way, our heart ought to break for people who have been deceived by this lie. There are only two genders. Now, having established that, the rest of the section, again, as I said, verses 3 through 9, is really about the reality that our actions and our appearance should represent the gender role that we were created to fill. So culturally, what do we see here? We see that Paul describes in that culture that that women covered their heads during worship and that head coverings were a picture or, or a symbol of the authority or headship that they had placed themselves under. It was a way of honoring their husbands and by extension, God. Now in the culture, women who did not wear this communicated their sexual promiscuity and availability. It was really the practice of the prostitutes of that day. Men in that culture were not to wear head coverings as they were to take the lead in worship. And by the way, you think about the Bible was written largely in a Middle Eastern context. You think about the Middle East even today, among the Orthodox Jews, among the Arabs and the Muslims. What do they still wear today? 
They still wear head coverings of many different forms and fashions. And so the culture of that day was, was head coverings for the women and, and for the men not to wear the head coverings. And that was the practice of that day. Now, such is not the way that headship and, and submission and, and authority are expressed in our culture today. So one of the things we've got to grasp when we come to passages like this is that cultural practices may change, but the biblical principle remains. And so church, we, we're, we're not here today necessarily uh, wearing head coverings or doing all of those things. But the biblical principle remains, your actions and your appearance should display the gender role that God has given you. So men, don't play the role of the woman. And that day, if the man wanted to play the role of the woman, he'd put a covering on. Today, men do all sorts of things to play the role of the woman. I'm not going there, amen? amen. But I am going to say men act like men. Men look like men. Men lead. God created you to lead. God created you to take the initiative. God created you to bear the weight of making sure that your family has provision and protection and peace in your home. Men, sacrifice and give yourself in love. Men, take the hit. Hold the line. Set the tone. Men, we still need men in 2023 to play the man. Amen. In our culture, we're so scared of being too aggressive that we have become totally absent. Be a man. Lead in worship. Teach your children how to sing. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to study the Bible. Lead in the church. Your, your wife and your kids ought to see you helping to take the lead in this church and to take the gospel into this community. We need men to act like men, to look like, to act like men, and to look like men. Men, lead. Provide, protect, persevere. We need men to be men. Amen? Amen. Men, don't play the role of the lady. Look like a man, act like a man. But ladies, don't play the role of a man. You know, I wonder perhaps that, you remember the, 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 the three or four chapters before were all about Christian liberty. And perhaps that the, the reason this portion of Scripture was needed was because uh, some of the ladies in Corinth thought their freedom in Christ also allowed them freedom to, to, to play the role of the man. I don't know. But ladies, don't play the role of a man. Act like a lady and look like a lady. The fact that he doesn't do what he needs to doesn't give you the authorization to take charge. God created you to bring him glory by bringing forth and nurturing life, by supporting your home, by supporting your husband's, and, and husband. And your actions and appearance should reflect your God-given role. Because God has established gender as a part of his designed order. 
Now, many people, perhaps even many people in the church, would say, well, preacher, I don't like that. Look at verse number 10. Paul says, For this cause ought the woman to have power, authority, headship on her head because of the angels. Now I'm going to explain that in a minute, but here's the, here's the note I want you to get. Roman numeral 3. God's established order cannot be discarded without grave consequences. You say, preacher, I don't like that. Well, I'm going to say, be careful. Because God's established order, and God has established gender as a part of his defined order for society. God's established order cannot be discarded without grave consequence. The instruction here is that ladies should maintain in actions and appearances that demonstrate a willing submission to the God-given order and authority. And it mentions here the reason because of the angels. Now what does that mean? I believe that, that Paul is bringing in the angels to remind us what happens when you rebel against God-given order and authority. So the angels, they serve as both a positive and a negative example. Because you see, the angels who remained faithful to God, the angels who, who stayed under that headship that God had created them to be under, what do we know about those angels? We know that they know great blessing and they know great glory. But those angels who rebelled against God, those angels who said, we will be like the Most High, what do we know about those angels? Those angels who rebelled against God, we know they have not found the freedom, the power, and the glory that they desired. And they never will. In fact, we see a couple of verses that describe for us these angels who rebelled against their head. Jude 6 tells us of these angels. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left to their own habitation, he has reserved in He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them under the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So what do we see? Those angels who dared... To cast off God's created order. They did not find freedom. They did not find power. They did not find glory. What did they find? They found destruction and grave consequence. Christian, you cannot win by rebelling against God and his established order. Can't do it. You will not win rebelling against God. And his established order. Look at the state of our homes. Look at the state of our society. And all of that is a direct reflection of our society's effort to cast off God-given authority. Who do the police think they are? Who does the government think they are? Who do my parents think they are? Who does my husband think he is? That's the sentiment of our world. And you can see the destruction that we have reaped. There is a warning here of destruction that we find when we decide that we know better than God. 
We cannot, church, we cannot vacate our gender responsibility and not bring utter destruction on ourselves and society. God's established order cannot be discarded without grave consequence. So we see, first of all, church, that God has established order in his creation. Amen? Amen. We see, secondly, church, that God has established gender as a part of his designed order. Amen? Amen? We see, thirdly, that God's established order cannot be discarded without grave consequence. As Paul brings this section to a close, he gives us some summary thoughts. Look at verses 11 through 16. He says, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely or appropriate? That a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom. Neither the churches of God. God has established order in his creation. God has established gender to be a part of that order. God's established order cannot be discarded without grave consequence. Let me give you a couple of things as we close. Uh, Roman numeral four and a couple of notes under. We'll put this. Societal practices change, but scriptural principles do not. Societal practices change, but scriptural principles do not. So let me give you a couple of thoughts here, summarizing these last six verses. First of all, it's important for us to remember that head coverings do not mean the same thing in our culture as it did then. Head coverings uh, do not mean the same thing in our culture as it did then. Now, I've had some ladies tell me, but it means the same thing to me. And when I cover my head, when I come to church, that's what it means for me. Wonderful. You have the liberty to do that, and I applaud that, and I, I think that's wonderful if God leads you to do that. But we also have liberty understanding that, that our culture is different. Practices change, but principles do not. Let me give you another example. Uh, we see many times in the New Testament, Paul commands the church to greet one another uh, with a holy kiss. If you try to greet me with a holy kiss, you try to greet my wife with a holy kiss, we're both going to be praying like Paul and Silas that God will get us out of jail because that's where we're going to end up. But what's the principle behind the practice? That, that we are to receive one another openly and affectionately. But we don't kiss each other anymore. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. What do we do today? We shake hands. Maybe give a hug. Did you know that in a lot of cultures around the world, that even considering the handshake, it is considered the height of impropriety for you to give a firm handshake? 
So in most places in the world, John Sinclair would be the rudest man alive. <laughs> but in America, you give me a limp hand, I'm going to think, what's wrong with you? Why? Because cultures are different. The principle of receiving one another, the, the, the principle of, of welcoming one another is the same, but the practices change. So with that in mind, how, how are we to handle this thing of hand cover, head coverings and hair and gender and all of those things? Paul points out here first in his summary statements that men and women are equal in value. Remember verse 11 and 12, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man and the Lord, for as the woman is of the man, the first woman was created out of the man. But moving forward, what do we see? Women bring forth men. Men and women are equal in value. We are equally essential to society. We exist in a mutually dependent relationship. You have to have both men and women. And we are equal in value before God. Galatians 3.28 reminds us that in the eyes of God, in the context of the church, it's not about Jew and Greek, bond or free, male or female. We are one in Christ. And so Paul points out that this is not a matter of women or anyone being inferior or lesser. Men and women are equal in value. By the way, I'll stop and point out here, passages like this have been wickedly abused by evil men and women. Men, if you are so foolish as to use the truth of your headship as a hammer, never forget that you are going to have to answer to your head. And he keeps a perfect set of books. This idea of women voluntarily putting themselves under the headship of their husbands, men, this is never something that God says you need to require of her. This is something God requires of her. Men and women are equal in value before God. Paul points out here, though, that men and women are equal in value. We have different roles. We must embrace our God-given gender with its God-given roles and representation. He talks about judging yourselves. Is it appropriate that a woman pray uncovered? Uh, and then he talks about hair. Does not even nature teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it's, it's a glory unto her. Simply this. We need to embrace our God-given gender with its God-given roles and representations. Men should act and look like men. Women should act and look like ladies. Our culture has become so androgynous. You cannot tell if it's a man or a woman. I was at the gas station last night. <sighs> On three different occasions, in the short amount of time it put, took me to put gas in my minivan, I asked the question in my head, what is that? <laughs> but our culture has become intentionally blurred. If you listen 
they will, the scholars of the day, the philosophers of the day, even the scientists of the day will tell you, oh, there is no difference between men and women, and, and we're all just the same and can do whatever and be whatever. No, there is a difference. I'm going to tell you, in a world that glories in the, you can't tell if it's a man or a woman, God still calls us to embrace the differences he has created in us. God created the physical forms of men and women differently. I know that's earth shattering. I know that's groundbreaking. I know that's highly offensive to some. But men and women are not the same. They don't look the same. They don't think the same. They have different giftings. They have different skills. They have different callings. They have different roles. Here's what God is calling you to do. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Proclaim it. Teach it. Men, be men. Ladies, be ladies. So we have men and women are equal in value. By the way, I'll go back there and remind us that one of the ways this passage has been abused is by telling ladies they have to stay in a place where they are being physically abused because they need to stay under their headship. That's not what God teaches here. God never teaches a lady she has to stay in a place where a man beats on her. And men, I'm going to tell you, if we dare abuse the role God has given us, we will answer to our head. Men and women are equal in value before God. We must embrace our God-given gender with its God-given roles and representations. And then finally, verse 16, if any man seem to be contentious, we, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Finally, church, this is not something that is open for debate or dissension. This is not something that is open for debate. You say, well, I think, I think women can do anything men can do, and men should be able to do what women do. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible is clear. God created men to be men, and God created women to be women. And there is no custom, there is no teaching, there is no scripture that in any way, shape, or form allows for us to blur the gender roles or to change the gender roles. God has said it and that settles it. This is not something that is open for debate. Now, in conclusion, I recognize that much of what I said today is not culturally acceptable. I recognize that these truths are called by our world archaic, outdated, hateful, chauvinistic, patriarchal, and I can go on. And no doubt these truths can and have been abused by some. But these truths are still Bible And the Bible is still best. These truths are biblical and godly. These truths cannot be revoked or replaced. 
these truths still present the best way to live and God still knows what he is doing. And so in essence, all of us need to make the decision this morning to submit to him. He is the head of all head. Don't resist him. So what is the invitation this morning? How do we respond? Church, I think we need to ask God for grace and wisdom to be the men and women that we should be. I'm going to tell you, men, there's a lot of pressure for you to vacate your role as the head of your home. And I'm going to tell you, in a, in a society that acts as, as hateful against authority as ours is, it is easy to become uh, so concerned about being too aggressive that we become totally absent. But men, God has still called you in sacrificial love to be the head of your home. And ladies, God still calls you to voluntarily place yourself under the headship of your husband. Not all men, your husband. So we need to ask God for the grace and wisdom we need to live out these truths in our messed up world. I think we also could spend some time this morning asking God for the grace and strength we need to train our sons and daughters. Because I'm going to tell you, the world is after them. All of this mess coming after our children. You realize in in the up and coming generation, more than one out of five of them now uh, now, uh, self-identify as some form of LGBTQ, whatever, whatever. One out of five. They're after our kids. They're after our grandkids. And we need to ask God for his grace and wisdom to train our sons to be men of God. To look like men and to act like men. And to train our daughters to be women of God. Because God's way is still the best way. Really, God's way is the only way. In a world that is wildly out of order, God still has order for his church.